Welcome to the Bayesian Conspiracy. I'm Inyash Brodsky. I'm Steven Zuber. Steven, welcome back. How are you doing? Good, man. I don't know why I said welcome back. It just feels like it's been a long time for me. It has been. It's been... <laughs> yeah. When was the last time we had a classic episode? It's been a little a while. while. Yeah. Before we start into our main topic, we have two things that we are going to hit. The very first one is going to be feedback from me. <laughs> I need to give a massive shout out to all the rats in the D.C. area. Just before I left for my trip to D.C. and San Francisco, I put out a call on the podcast like, hey, if you're a listener, if you're in D.C., let me know. Maybe we can like meet up, have drinks, coffee, whatever. One of the D.C. meetup organizers had a uh, last minute meetup that she organized in Washington, D.C. I got to go and meet like a dozen people there. I, I didn't take an exact count. Had an amazing four hour meeting, got to chat with a ton of really cool people. It was a great time. And now me and her, the organizer that put all this together, are working on a super secret project together. So all sorts of great things. You guys are awesome. I love meeting all of you. Maya, specifically calling you out by name for making all this happen. Thank you. It was great. Well, that's outstanding. Item number two is the Guild of the Rose promo, because we are partnered with the Guild of the Rose, as we believe in their mission and they believe in ours. Hashtag teamwork. Exactly. The Guild of the Rose is a online community slash course that helps people level up their rationality game in the real world. Today, we're going to tell you about their taste and shaping workshop. This trains participants to fluently reframe stressful or aversive tasks or goals into clear and motivating objectives. I like this a lot because it makes me think of you, Stephen. You, in particular, have a thing. If something is disgusting, you're like, this isn't disgusting. It's a unique culinary experience. Well, during the experience, I tried to uh, immerse myself in the novelty of it and then never try it again. But it depends on how bad it is. There's definitely a cap. When I definitely, definitely realized I was lactose intolerant, I was laying in bed with Mm. like a crippling stomach ache, watching sweat bead on the back of my hand, like from how uncomfortable, like how much discomfort I was in. Even at the time, I was like, this is really funny. This is like how I feel like I'd feel if I got shot. And here, all all it was was a delicious milkshake that did me in. (laughs) Lots of times having a a cold can just be like, I feel like I'm on drugs. I am woozy. I have a hard time making sense of the world. Lots of people pay good money for this experience. That's true. I will say that when I got the steroid shot into my spine, I got it without the thing that numbs you. That was an intense experience I will not forget. I felt like somebody with stilettos was standing on my spine. Did you feel like they were piercing through your flesh and stabbing into your spine i couldn't really feel the flesh bit because everything beneath it was so uncomfortable i i remember the stabbing pain was just like wow i didn't know this could happen (laughs) we are probably uh, misrepresenting this exercise the taste and shaping workshop Um, (laughs) it's not just this because it's supposed to reframe it into goals with clear and motivating objectives so it's probably completely different what we're talking about because our only objective at the time was to live through the situation is it clear that we haven't attended this workshop yet but we should when we're smart we have time we'll do it and then we'll be able to intellectually sell it better (laughs) okay (laughs) so guild of the rose it's like being stabbed in the spine check it out okay let's go on to our main topic i'm glad you recommended this one ozzy brennan's rationalists and the cultic milieu which is a word that i hadn't heard anyone use except for you a few times over the last few years oh and then i then i'm seeing it in here and it's like oh this is a word that actual people know (laughs) It's a real word. I mean, I knew it was a real word. Like I, I'd yeah. seen it around, but I didn't know people actually used it. So apparently you I, and Ozzy are in the cool club. I like the word a lot because it says a thing that there's no other word to say. Plus, it sounds really neat. It sounds and it makes you. Yeah, it sounds really neat. Yeah, it makes you sound fancy when you say it. I mean, you know, social environment is yeah. is what it means. But milieu, it sounds French. It does. 
Ozzy Brennan, well-known within the rationalist community, posts on Less Wrong, much more in EA nowadays than Less Wrong, but from the Thing of Things blog and now moved to Substack. Uh, you've probably read something on there before in the past 15 years, if you were in the rat sphere. You know, I would think so. But then I read the comments and so many of them say they're not rationalists. So I have no idea. One of there. the most rationalist thing to do is to say that you're not a rationalist. The comments on this are a whole other thing that we will get to because I can't skip them. That's interesting. I never read comments anywhere. So I have not read any of them. And I'm about to be base blasted by comments. We'll save that because first got to talk about the content of the post. The post is titled Rationalists and the Cultic Milieu. In very big, bold letters, all caps, the very top. It is said, the cult in cultic milieu refers to new religious movements. It does not refer to ideologically abusive communities. All I can picture is Pierce from Community and his like robe and stuff from the whatever cult <laughs> That's he's right, in. he was part of the cult. <laughs> I totally forgot. So keep that in mind. We're not talking about cults in the Pierce in Community sort of way. <laughs> We're talking about cults as in what Christianity was when it was just 13 dudes hanging around Jerusalem what Mormonism was back when it was just Joe Smith with a hat and some glasses. I stopped taking my antidepressants this week. I think that might have something to do with my oh. brain. But oh, interesting. Why did you stop taking them? This is long enough for a digression segment for the patrons. Back to the main subject. Back to the main subject. Thanks for indulging. All right. Oh, absolutely. The, the top top of the post is a picture of Charlie from the uh, episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, where he's <laughs> yes. working in the mailroom and smoking cigarettes and jacked out on coffee, wondering where Pepe Silvia lives. If you read between the lines on It's Always Sunny, he can't read. And Pepe Silvia looks kind of like Pennsylvania. So it's on all the mail. And so he's like, where is Pepe Silvia? And so that's the, the cult picture at the top. I was sold from the great marketing Aussie. You had me sold from the thumbnail. Fantastic. So, so the- <laughs> I like this top line right underneath the all caps disclaimer. He says, if you're linking to this post to say, see, Aussie is a rationalist. Even they admit rationality is a cult. Rationalists are never allowed to agree with orthodoxy. They all worship Elias Yudkowsky as a god. Group houses, AI, polyarmy, Brokos basilisk. <laughs> if, you, if you link to this saying that, then you're bad at reading. Disclaimer is done. Ozzy goes on to say exactly what a cultic milieu is. It's a term. It was developed by sociologist Colin Campbell. The cultic milieu is a subculture from which new religious movements usually emerge. It also produces conspiracy theories, heretical sets of currently existing religions, and woo slash quackery. So this post gets into what the cultic milieu is, what it feels like from the inside, and that's what we're going to talk about. Because every now and then, instead of talking about AI, it's a good idea just to sit down and gaze at our own navels and talk about our awesome community a bit. That sounds relaxing. On the, on the note of AI, quick mention, Yudkowsky is published in Time Magazine. Did you see that Peter Ducey of Fox News at a White House press briefing directly quoted from that Time article and asked about it? He got a non-answer, but the fact that a mainstream media outlet is actually asking about this now and bringing it to more public attention, I think is fascinating and awesome. I think that'll probably do more good than harm on the margin. Mm -hmm. I totally don't expect a White House press secretary to be qualified to give a reply to that question. Um, she basically said, don't worry, we got everything in hand. Well, that's the worst answer she could have given. <laughs> but well, no, actually, What else are you going to say? Exactly. Yeah, there's not much else she could say. She's not like, that's a good point. We're also worried. Um, yeah. You can't say that. But the downside is that like Fox News is going to be like, look, scary technology. Why does Facebook keep saying bad things about me? It's because of the AI. It's not because I keep doing bad things. But if someone's talking about it, more people will. So, all right. So the, the digression I was going to skip, which is very brief then, uh, is hmm. that I do. We'll put it up for patrons again. All right, so the cultic milieu, it's the intellectual grounds that you live in and play in and work from. The post says the cultic milieu is an enormous interconnected ecosystem. UFOologists and occultists are surprisingly likely to read each other's blogs. Sovereign citizens are friends with the UFO people and the quack medicine people. They're all part of the same group. 
that kind of seems to have been my experience. Do you you also see that kind of thing? 100%. It's interesting because I used to be more involved in like the skeptic community meetings and mailing lists and all that stuff. All you have to do is just turn on the History Channel, or the Science Channel or whatever. After Ancient Aliens, they put on the Bigfoot show. Right. Like yeah. it's, it's the same population of people who are interested in all these things. I liked the connection that, yeah, they, they read each other's blogs. They go to each other's conferences. They cite yeah. each other's work. Yep. Ozzy says that members of the cultic milieu drift between wildly contradictory new religious movements. The basic thought process between all of these groups is the same. The same steps that get you to ufology also get you to Bigfoot. Right. Like, well, of course, that they share interest because they share so much else in common. Yes. Ozzy says the most important defining factor of the Celtic milieu is its deep interest in stigmatized knowledge. That is what makes the Celtic milieu the Celtic milieu. Stigmatized knowledge falls into five categories. Forgotten knowledge, things that were once widely known, like the lost wisdom of Atlantis. Superseded knowledge, things that people used to believe but don't anymore, like astrology. Ignored knowledge, things that low-status people believe, like folk medicine. Rejected knowledge, things that mainstream thinks are false from the outset, like UFOs, and suppressed knowledge, things that authoritative institutions allegedly know to be true, but are hiding for some reason, like cancer cures. I really like to the end because, you know, he cites the book that, he, that this blog post is based on. Colin Campbell defined cultic milieu, but the book that he cites at the end is A Culture of Conspiracy, Apocalyptic Visions in Contemporary America by Michael Barkin. I kind of want to talk to this guy. And then I imagine that an author would be annoyed if I asked to like interview about his book without having read it. Um, <laughs> Probably. But when I read these five things, mm -hmm. I'm like, that's all great. But then how is ignored knowledge actually different than like forgotten knowledge or superseded or whatever? And also, what is an actual example of forgotten knowledge? Like, oh, the ancient Egyptians used to know how to build pyramids. And now we don't, except for we actually do. Um, well, maybe the ancient Egyptians knew how to travel between the stars. You know, it could be magic like that. But then I'm wondering, like, folk medicine. Yes, that some of that is like, eat this pine tree bark or whatever, and it'll cure your headache. Um, this one weird trick, yeah. Yeah, but then also it's like, what? then what do you call Gwyneth Paltrow's expensive butt-chugging experiments? Like, <laughs> is that is that folk like, medicine? Are they suppositories? They're, um, what do you call it when you, you, you wash fluid up there and wash it out? But it's got, it's not merely a, a cleanse. It's, it's oh, got, enemas? Yeah, I guess it's an enema of sorts. I think Gwyneth Paltrow's into like all the crazy medicine stuff. But it's like, is that folk medicine? Because it's really expensive. I guess Perhaps what I want is like... rejected knowledge. I suppose, yeah. Falls from the outset, you know, UFOs. The other thing I had, we'll get to this as we go through the post, is that I don't think that the weird shit that rationalists believe fall into any of these categories. But I think I think the post argues that they do. Let's move on then and we'll see if I'm right. Okay. A major claim is that all stigmatized knowledge, the five things we just read are the five types of stigmatized knowledge. All stigmatized knowledge tends to become suppressed knowledge over time. <laughs> so forgotten, superseded, ignored, and rejected knowledge all tend to become suppressed knowledge over time within this cultic milieu. Because believers need to answer the question, why don't people believe this if it's true? And the easy answer is that someone is covering it up. Pepe Sylvia. One of the fun things that I liked about this was that, with a few exceptions, the cultic milieu is obsessively empirical and scholarly. And yes. I remember learning this, you know, back reading some of the stuff that ufologists would write back in the day. They're not just cranks sitting there spouting total nonsense. They've got math. They they cite other books. They use real numbers for astronomical units and stuff. On the fringes, of course, it's, well, aliens are here and they're invisible and they're talking to you right now, yada, yada. But mm -hmm. a lot of it is like, okay, aside from the fact that I think you're 100% wrong... Your work is great. I will say that the average flat earther is much more of a legit real scientist than any average person on the street. 
they actually go out and try to test things often and lots of times disprove their own flat eartherism. I'm not sure if I would say lots of times, but they do sometimes. There was that one flat earther who tried to shoot himself up in a rocket to see the curvature of the earth and I think died. So that didn't work out. But the fact that they're willing to test their beliefs and actually do experiments is amazing. They're actually doing science. They just sometimes do it badly. Yeah, I wouldn't call the ones that have the life of Hortons to do actual experiments the average flat earthers, but I don't actually know okay. how, how real flat eartherism is outside of like those people who do it on TV and the people who pretend to do it on Twitter. So, uh, Right, yeah. But no, probably but, a lot of them are not doing science at all. But, but point taken, you know, there was that famous one where they, it was like a Mythbusters style thing where they shined a light, you know, like laser point way down the way and they were like, well, because they're flat, there won't be any curve. And then they missed the mark and they're like, well, that's weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're, they're doing science. Yeah. QAnon believers urge people to do their own research and never take anything on faith. If you want to find out whether a quack medicine works, try taking it. If you want to see if magic works, try casting your own spells. If you're not sure if the conspiracy is true, investigate it for yourself. And I got to say, I really love this stuff. I mean, there's the fact that placebo effects are a thing. And when you are motivated to find answers, you will often find them. This is like exactly how the James Randi thing always works, right? The people that go in there are absolutely completely convinced that they have these powers because they've tested them many times and they've always worked. And then as soon as there's a few more controls put in, which they didn't think of doing, the power falls apart. But the fact that they say, don't just take things on faith, actually try it out yourself. I super respect that. That's awesome. I respect that sentiment, especially like I think it was 80 or 90 percent of the people they'd get trying to get the million dollar challenge at the James Rand Educational Foundation were uh, dowsers, the people, mm-hmm. the sticks that they believed would cross over water. Right. They did the experiments in that they would hold their sticks over a bucket and watch them cross. But like they don't know the basic thing of like, how about you cover the buckets? That's all you need to do to realize you can't do this. I don't want to give them too much credit because it's, it's actually terrible science. But I like the spirit that they're trying it. Yeah. It's just that they need to catch up with like 1600 levels of science, the science standards that were set in the 1600s of, yes. you know, an actual experiment. But I will say definitely go with the 1600s era science and not with the 1900s era science because of reasons that we will get into in our next episode in two weeks. Oh, boy. That's going to be a fun one. <laughs> yes, it will. I can't even fault these people for wanting to do the experiments themselves when you see how a lot of bullshit works nowadays. True. But I, they, I don't trust these fuckers anymore either. They could do their own experiments better. Yes, they could. But also, how are you going to do your own experiments with COVID? Well, I'm talking specifically dowsers. Yeah. You get, well, you get yes, three buckets okay. instead of one, and you just put a blanket yeah. over all of them. <laughs> but yeah. But you literally cannot trust the CDC anymore. And that kind of sucks because there's a lot of research you can't do if you don't have massive government resources. This sounds like cultic milieu talk to me. Uh, it does. You, so, <laughs> the cultic mil- related, the cultic milieu is by its nature anti authoritarian. Fuck the CDC. Yes. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> it's, this is an interesting point. No single organization within the cultic milieu can tell people what to do. While the controlling and abusive communities get the most press, most belief systems in the cultic milieu are loosely structured and don't prescribe many practices among their adherents. It's really hard, in italics, to get people in the cultic milieu to do what you told them to do, which has absolutely positively been my experience, uh, especially as someone who tries to organize rationalist meetups here in Denver. You can get people to show up oftentimes, and that's pretty much it. It's hard to... Any Regimented. harder ask than that. Yeah. yeah. It just doesn't doesn't happen. Yeah. It's funny. The Post goes on to say that they're going to come up with their own personal Atlantis Nostradamus UFO synthesis and ignore whatever you just said. And yeah. if you're like me, uh, for quoting from the Post, you're like, 
damn, this group of people sounds very familiar. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Here's another thing. The cultic milieu is scholarly to an extent which is likely surprising to people unfamiliar with it. Conspiracy texts are typically well footnoted and full of citations. Their bibliographies are extensive. Stephen, is there not a massive online resource where tons of very scholarly works are collected and arguments are made in ways that often use evidence and rational argumentation? Oh, man. I feel like I could think of some sort of uh, joke or segue to I, I, I'm fumbling it. Yes, I believe there is. I think it's called lesswrong.com. Uh, There's a place online where people gather to try to be less wrong by working together. That's right. Also, the Invasion Conspiracy Discord. Check it out. Oh, yeah, that too. Not quite the level of prestige is less wrong, but we're trying. And we're certainly very anti-authoritarian. Especially the two of us with God powers over the Discord. That's the funny thing. We basically never exercise them. Yep. You know, drawing more parallels, the rationalist community is uh, deeply suspicious of the government, corporations, academia, religion, and society as a whole. Yep. It's interested in suppressed knowledge, masks and ventilation early in the coronavirus, luminators, cryonics, existential risks, parenting not mattering to children's outcomes, various economics beliefs that this space is too small to contain, various rationality techniques this space is too small to contain. Yep. It tends quite scholarly. Members are urged to do their own research and not rely on what authorities say. The community is also profoundly anti-authoritarian. As the joke goes, a rationalist is someone who disagrees with Elias Yudkowsky. <laughs> <laughs> Which is very true. Remember when we had John Wentworth on the podcast late last year talking about the plan to align AI? Yeah. And we asked him a few times, how worried should we be? And he specifically said, do not listen to me. If you're listening to this podcast, you're probably smart enough and have read enough to make your own estimates about this sort of thing. So don't try to anchor on what I'm about to say. Related to that, check out Matt Freeman's recent very popular Less Wrong post, uh, The Parable of the King. The Parable of the King and the Random Process. That's right. There was a base blast on it just last week. What I like, though, is that at the very least, Ozzy's going to throw us a bone and say that rationalists have been proven right about a fair number of things. And then he puts a, a little footnote next to it, and that leads down to saying, we're going to be doing victory laughs about COVID for years. And yes. I get that it's somewhat tongue in cheek, but frankly, I think the victory laps are kind of earned. That's right. I also, you can only do victory laps if you're alive. So we beat the curve a little bit on that. An example he doesn't give is Bitcoin. Yep. We had way above the base rate of millionaires come out of that. There's, I think, a lot of other stuff. Those are the two big ones, you know, millionaires and, hey, maybe this plague is going to be a big problem. And also now AI. God, I can't believe that even counts. <laughs> I mean, it, it does. <laughs> it totally counts. No, it does, yes. but it's like that's that's been like the thing for twenty years, and it's right? like, oh, now you guys are catching on. I know I've said this before on the podcast, but that's one of the wonderful things about being part of the rationalist community. You get to be ahead of the curve by about seven years on almost everything. <sighs> I don't know. Maybe it's because the AI thing is fresh. I'm kind of more annoyed about that one than I am about the COVID one. <laughs> <laughs> Why more annoyed? Because it's a bigger deal and we've been, and we've been making noises about it for longer than, you know, we had time to for COVID. We're we're only like, oh. you know, two months ahead on COVID, you know. Right. But that's Probably all the time that we could that. possibly Maybe had. 5 weeks. Yeah, yeah, because it evolved so quickly. Oh man. I really love this because I thought when I was a teenager, I had absolutely nothing in common with my dad and we fought a lot and it was terrible. I'm positive I mentioned this before when I learned not too long ago that he actually was a secret atheist pretty much the whole time, which sucked for me because I was raised in a fundamental Christian sect. Really, it would have been nice if he told me at the time I was rebelling that what he was secretly thinking was, oh, thank God he's not crazy. Like, you couldn't have told me that. <sighs> it's like uh, a weird call for your parents to say, like, 
I, I get like wanting a community, you know, they're first generation immigrants, let's find a tight knit community that can help us acclimate and have resources and stuff. That's all great. That's why they're there. But yeah. they should have just told you guys, hey, just make the noises that you believe this. We don't actually have to believe this. For neither of them want- to really believe it and then tell you to actually believe it is seems like a weird call. Well, first of all, my mom did actually believe it. Oh, okay. she had a much longer, slower drawing away from the church process than my dad did. But my dad, this is the part two update, which I need to share now, which is fascinating. The reason he was a Jehovah's Witness was because he was living in Soviet Poland, where it was a suppressed religion. It was literally suppressed knowledge. He was in a literal Gnostic mystery cult where you were inducted slowly and got to learn more of the secret knowledge as you went along, hiding, having secret meetings in people's basements and printing off pamphlets and distributing them in secret against like the government. He was literally part of the cultic milieu. And also, once I learned that about him, I was like, oh, fuck yeah. In that same situation, I would also join a Gnostic mystery cult because that sounds fucking awesome. And I want to know all the secret suppressed knowledge that the commies don't want you to know. I suppose if all they were doing was talking about their weird religion, like it seems like a needless risk. But it doesn't. Um, it sounds fun for like a movie, like risking getting killed over your magic life, book. dude. But I guess I'd rather be killed over something that mattered rather than like they don't want you to believe that this specific thing about Christianity or something. What matters more than the secret nature of actual reality? Oh, right. They forgot. They thought it was true. I forgot. Um, yeah. Yeah. So th- then in that case, of course. Yeah. I, I totally see where they're coming from. His falling out once he came to the US and it was no longer a Gnostic mystery cult. It was just an open religion that people practiced and they could say all the things. And he was like, oh, oh, wait a minute. And like within a year, he was like, this is just another religion. This is just Christianity again. What the fuck, dudes? So uh, I guess. But by then they had the social network and all the other great things that come from having a hard religion like this. Uh, So he stuck with it for many years for other reasons. But wow, what a turn of events in his life to go from Gnostic mystery cult to just another boring religion. And also now I very much sympathize with him. And I'm like, what the fuck? How much of this anti-authoritarianism cultic milieu thing is just in the genes? Because I thought we had (laughs) nothing in common. But it turns out I am just like him. My grandpa was uh, in one of those secret clubs where you get funny hats. Uh, The Freemasons or the um, Shriners. The Shriners. That's what it was. I don't know what all, if they had a belief system or what their like tenants were or anything, but mm-hmm. it's just the kind of thing of like, Hey, you know, uh, Bill got laid off from work. Can we all pitch in a little bit to help him get through a couple months of mortgage while, you know, he finds a new job or something. That kind of level of community is, is awesome. Mm-hmm. You know, I was, like, I was talking about this like, yesterday, actually, one of the best things about going to Fort Collins with my wife is the, the long chats and the drive to and from on the way back. We're talking about big cityism versus small cityism. The difference to me I summarized was in a small community, if your neighbor's house is destroyed by a natural disaster or a wayward crane, like my neighbor's driveway just was, do you invite your neighbor to stay at your house while they get their stuff fixed? Or do you say, oh, not my problem and lock the door? I think that is the quickest way to summarize like a small community versus a big community, okay. or rather a uh, group of people too big to be a real community, a big city versus a middle of nowhere, Nebraska. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, the fun thing about cultic MU stuff is that you get all that in common, right? You can mm-hmm. be like, oh, you're a ufologist too? Me too. We can already skip so much of that. How much can I trust this person? Mm-hmm. We certainly do that with rationalists. I don't know what exactly what you do when you travel around, but I know some rationalists who will just stay in people's houses they've never met before because they reached out online to other rationalists and like, hey, anyone got a spare couch willing to let a stranger live there for a few weeks or a few days? Uh, not weeks, but yeah, that, that is unimaginable to me for like just a random stranger, right? But if they're I, if they're also Jehovah's Witness or they're, or they're also a rationalist, you're like, oh, you're you, we're good. You know? Yes, I, I have had rationalists stay on my couch a few times. Yeah. 
I think it's wonderful. I also, of all the rationalists that I have met, they are all people that I just feel like I can trust more. There's an instant sort of connection. Exactly. Yeah, so this all sounds digressional with, you know, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses and stuff, but it's not. This is the, the point is that these things are very tightly related, right? Yes. Yeah. I like many things about this post. Everything about the cultic milieu and how rationalists are part of it feels absolutely right to me based on both myself and the people that I know. But the thing Ozzy brings up, which I appreciate very much, is that uh, the rationalists tend to be the part of the cultic milieu that's actually right a whole lot. You you already pulled out the thing where it says ra- empirically rationalists have been proven right a fair number of, of things. Ozzy goes on to say many of the other claims common in the community are, whatever else you have to say about them, certainly more plausible than Nostradamus. <laughs> I think that rationalists are part of the cultic milieu. They're just members of the cultic milieu who are way better than most members of the cultic milieu at being right. We are and less think- wrong than the others. Exactly. I think a large part of that is specifically our focus on testing ourselves against reality and finding ways to be as right as possible and to accept when we are wrong and updating on that rather than trying to defend beliefs that we got attached to. 100%. And it's it's worth emphasizing again that, you know, because the ufologists will think the same thing. We're right and they're wrong. However, yeah. it, the, the key word there is empirically. Yeah. There are demonstrated victories like he says slightly higher in the post was that there's a very important difference between, I think masks would actually help prevent COVID. And I think prophylactic ivermectin will help prevent COVID. Yeah. Only one of those is being advocated amongst our little clubs. So a lot of times people like flat earthers or ufologists have things they believe that they are invested in being correct. Whereas the main thing rationalists believe that they're invested in being correct about is continuing to test yourself against reality and becoming as correct as possible, no matter how uncomfortable it may be. That is the primary purpose of rationality, is developing good, solid epistemology that works in the real world. Hell yeah. That makes a huge difference. I think so much so that we get to the next part of the post that says the rationalist movement isn't part of the cultic milieu qua community. We don't read the blogs of ufologists or sovereign citizens. We read the blogs of economists and historians. The fundamental personality type is the same which is ultimately the point of this post, that we have the personality type. And I almost want to say got lucky. I think it was more than just getting lucky. I want to give some personal agency to myself that it wasn't just luck. It was seeking out ways to become more correct, which for me in large part was motivated by being in a fundamentalist religion, but also also got lucky. Elias Ryadkowski was around and I stumbled across this blog I found online called Overcoming Bias and If that hadn't been around, who knows, maybe I would have ended up in the skeptics movement, probably the new atheist movement in a way that would have been not as good as where I actually landed. So I'm thankful for my fortunateness. Yeah, I I want to emphasize that point because I I didn't read every comment on the post, but I read some of them. And I think there was some back and forth about like, because if it's the same underlying fundamental personality type, you know, does that mean that if you didn't find overcoming bias, you would have found that guy with the hair and the ancient aliens, you know, like, (laughs) uh, it's like, no, I think that still would have turned you off. It wasn't just every, every rationalist is just somebody who just wanted to rebel and then found this one amongst the others. It was something about like, no, I want to be, I I don't want to just rebel. I actually want to be right. It's always a hard question. The inevitable forces of history versus the great man theory of histories, right? Where like World War II, there were so many things pushing to make it happen that it was basically inevitable that something like it would happen. But on the other hand, the fact that we got Hitler and Churchill and Roosevelt as the major players made a huge fucking difference in what actually happened. 
there was the whole new atheism in the air. There was the skepticism. There was the pushback against religion that was happening in society generally. But also the fact that Eliezer came along and wrote the things that he did write at the time that he did write them drastically altered history in ways that would have been different if it was someone else writing. Yeah. So I, I try to be happy for where I ended up and I try to take some credit for like the things that felt like work. But yeah, yeah. I mean, you don't get to pick what things you come across. Yeah. Uh, you, you kind of you kind of get to filter a bit, but that's a whole philosophy thing. So this is another interesting point at the last paragraph here. This is, I think, what sparked the post and also one of the most interesting things about it. Stephen, you have noticed a not insignificant number of people who are known in the rationalist community mm, splitting off to join weird trad religions like Mormonism or Catholicism or getting into woo and magic with a K, right? I've, I've only noticed the second. That was one of the things that I actually found interesting. I've never heard of somebody running off to become a Mormon or a Catholic. Uh, I've seen it happen twice now. Not anyone that I know personally, but people that I know of. I think that one of the comments mentioned that is like, when you say many, do you mean two? Yeah, well, but, that still feels like a lot for a movement that has atheism as one of its bedrock principles. I suppose. Despite the fact that it's not required, it's also like, duh. Yeah. I mean, two out of what, roughly a couple hundred thousand? I certainly don't follow a couple hundred thousand rationalists. Oh, you're right. These are popular ones. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. It's Several dozens, at least. Fair enough. This is how the post the, the line starts. I was long puzzled by rationalists kept becoming Catholics or into chakras trying or s trying to summon demons or whatever. Remember when we had Wizard David on the podcast? Of course. Hi, David. Is, we love you. We do love you, David. Is this not one of the first things you thought of immediately? You're like, oh, yeah, Wizard David, who's casting spells, which I'm not sure how much of it is tongue-in-cheek and how much of it is not tongue-in-cheek. Yeah, totally. Like, you know, yeah, it's a joke, but also... It is going to affect things a little bit somehow due to your psychology, if nothing else, right? I'm like, um, I'm not sure I'm comfortable with the word magic and spells here, but... It was an interesting episode. And I do see that sometimes, in specific, the current, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly, the Egregore school of thought slightly annoys me, I would say, because I think it gives far too much agency to non-agentic things in a what appears to be more and more literal sense. And I'm like, it's a great metaphor not on board with the whole these are literal beings thing but there it is yeah this helped explain you know why this might be somewhat popular amongst rationalists and i guess i don't know what popular if it's if popular can mean one percent or keeps, ten you know yeah, why it keeps happening at a rate higher than i would have expected yeah i think at the end of the day though especially for a lot of people it's like well i'm finding value out of it and it's not expensive ozzy also mentioned or joining the alt-right as part of the going trad catholic getting into chakras and summoning demons thing which again i don't think happens often but I, as i said earlier happens enough to be noticed it's happened once or twice there was the more right website that uh split off from less wrong which was literally just less wrong but for people going kind of alt-righty but i have no idea how popular those were or if popularity is measured in clicks that's just like people might have been checking it out to see what they were saying, not because they believed it, you know? I mean, it's it's gone now. It doesn't exist anymore, which is how popular it managed to stay. Well, that says something. Yeah. Well, how does this wrap up here? The last bit. It wraps up saying that the cultic milieu idea explains why this sort of thing happens. People become rationalists because they are attracted to the cultic milieu. That is, people who distrust authority and want to figure things out for themselves. And like knowing secrets that no one else knows. All those check out. The members of the conventional cultic milieu drift smoothly from astrology to aliens. It is to be expected that some rationalists do the same.
Yeah, I like that. And it was an interesting synthesis of like helping explain that phenomena. That's what I like about, you know, any good post like this that prompts a good discussion is, okay, yeah, that's a really interesting point. I don't know if I agree with it, but I really liked that you made it. And I totally see how you got there. And I, I love the, again, the synthesis of explaining this phenomena. You don't think you agree with it that this happens sometimes? Well, I think it happens sometimes. Oh, you don't think it's because of the cultic milieu idea? Well, there's like a couple key things that jump out at me as missed in this. For example, people who distrust authority and want to figure things out for themselves and like knowing secrets that no one else knows. I don't know if I would say that like I like knowing secrets that no one else knows because I want other people to have... If I, if I know anything of value or I have any mental tricks of value, I want everyone to know them, right? Yes. It's not like, oh, I'm, I'm going to keep my spell book at home. But that's also the key. case with UFOlogists and Bigfoot people. They, they want everyone else to know about the UFO and the Bigfoot as well, right? I don't know. I've never seen a rationalist bumper sticker. They probably exist in California. Oh, uh, we should totally make rationalist bumper stickers. I don't know. <gasps> you know, like, what are we going to have? We like have a, a merch like, store, which we have neglected for like two years. We should make rationalist bumper stickers. We have stickers for our podcast. I've got one on my laptop. It looks good. But I think the difference is an I believe Bigfoot sticker. It's like, oh, I believe it because I'm, I'm in the know and you're not. And isn't that sad? I feel like the vibe is a little different, but the main thing in the comments was just like lots of arguments about, I doubt a lot of the rationalist ideas and I'm not sure what a rationalist is, or that's why I'm glad I'm not a rationalist, but here I am commenting on Ozzy's blog. (laughs) And it just made me really relate to back in the day, why Neil deGrasse Tyson dodged the new atheist wars, more or less. He's just like, I don't, the only ist I am is a scientist. He didn't like to label atheist. You know, I read these comments and I'm like, what even is a rationalist? This is pointless. Mm. Y'all are arguing this definitional thing that I, I don't even quite know what you're talking about. It made me if think. If you're arguing in the comments of Ozzy's blog, you are absolutely a rationalist of some flavor. Maybe you're rat adjacent or post rat or whatever you want to call yourself, but there's some there's some level of rat. If you're listening to this podcast, you might be a little bit rationalist. I think the reason that I balk at all of that, especially like, because I forgot like post-rationalist and stuff was even a thing, was I went to, um, there was a group at, at CSU called Leaders in Free Thought, Lift. And uh, mm-hmm. actually speaking of Neil deGrasse Tyson, their logo was Neil deGrasse Tyson doing like the hands up shrug. And it was like, do you even <laughs> lift, bro? Um, <laughs> awesome. I remember I went to one, everyone was like introducing themselves. And they're like, oh yeah, I'm a deist. I'm a, I'm an atheist. I'm a, uh, I'm an agnostic leaning, a- you know, it's like, oh my God, yeah. this is like the dumbest. And you know, I get it. We're all like you know, young and figuring, finding ourselves, yada, yada. But it's like, it was like giving your pronouns for new atheism. Basically, we're all talking about the exact, exact same thing. We all agree. Why do we have a hundred labels to describe? We're pretty sure we don't think religions are true. It seems like you don't need all of these, these handles for that core concept. Am I alone in finding that sort of thing exhausting? Or, or do you think it's valuable to have labels like post-rationalist or what were the other ones you're using? I personally don't particularly care. What matters to me is that you are in a comment war on Aussie's blog. <laughs> and that tells me everything I need to know. So you can use whatever label you want. I think other people want their labels because they don't want to be the kind of person who's having a comment for an Aussie's blog. So they need to label themselves differently. And that's fine, I guess. I don't know. I think that's, you, you do you. That's why I really like Tyson's thing of just like, I just don't have label. I almost feel like this is a thing that comes with age where you start to run out of fucks for various things. And one of the first fucks you run out of is the labels one. Okay, whatever. You're a human. I am judging you based on what I see you doing. And that's all that particularly matters. And you can call yourself what you want. But like, we're here having this conversation about the cultic milieu. And that's great. I'm loving it. There's other people who have never read this blog who aren't having this conversation with me. And I would definitely say they're not rationalists. So whatever. I completely agree. Finding like, what what label is this? And like, I don't have the, the time for that conversation. I don't have the energy for that conversation. 
It's like, like nah, it's, how about we just talk about whatever it is? You know, are we talking? Let's talk about AI. Let's talk about probability stuff, whatever other nerdy shit we like, right? Yeah. The main reason people would want to rebel against labels is if someone says, well, you're a rationalist, so you must believe X and Y. And someone's like, well, but I don't believe X and Y, so I'm not a rationalist. And then they have to come up with another label. Basically, that's some bullshit that the other people said, you're a rationalist, so you X. Stop judging people by a label and stop trying to assign labels to other people. Once you do that, then you don't have to worry about the labels nearly as much. That's why I think you can just skip the labels. But it's nice because then you can have a labels are great because then you can have a rationalist meetup and know vaguely what kind of people are going to show up. So yeah, I I totally get it. It's just like, oh, man, this is exhausting. One of the other main things that jumped out of the comments was things that rationalists believe don't fall into any of these five categories, with the possible exception Mm. of like those six weeks where people were lying about how good masks were. What category of this does confidence in Bayesian probability or some weird economics beliefs fall into? None of them are suppressed. It's not, you know, rejected. Eh. Well, hold on. Pick pick one of these. All right. We'll see if we can go, we can come up with an example. Uh, AI is a plausible, scary threat. I mean, pick one of the, the categories. Oh, uh, forgotten knowledge. I think that's I think that's a hard one to find any examples for because I can't remember any of the examples. Uh, let me jump on both of those then. Uh, the first one that you said, AI is a plausible, scary threat. I think that is rejected knowledge. A lot of the mainstream media simply thinks that's false from the outset. Hmm. The, if you see the Peter Ducey question where he asks at the White House press interview. There's an expert from the Machine Intelligence Research Institute who says that if there is not an indefinite pause on AI development, this is a quote, literally everyone on Earth will die. <laughs> Would you agree that does not sound good? <laughs> Your delivery, Peter, is quite, it's quite something. It sounds crazy, but is it? Is there anything more dramatic? I mean, you just read it. Literally everyone on Earth will die. Pretty pretty dramatic. Pretty dramatic. Um, (laughs) We're going to move on. But thank you, Peter. Thank you for the drama. Go ahead. There's like titters and laughter in the background because people like don't even take it seriously as a real question. That is a rejected false from the outset kind of thing. Yeah, I suppose. And then you were saying, give me an example of forgotten knowledge. I don't know if this is forgotten or suppressed, maybe one or the other, depending on what circles are in. But the fact that intelligence is heritable is, I believe, something that people used to know. That family over there is the smart family in the village. And this family is kind of the dumb family. And obviously not all their children fall in exactly one way or the other. But roughly, that's the way it lines up. And nowadays, people would say, how dare you say that IQ even exists as a real thing that is measurable? I, I think that would fall into forgotten knowledge. All right, that's, that's an interesting point. In my mind, I took bare notes on the comments, and I figured I'd just remember everything I was going to say. There's something that I think is consistent with a lot of the, we'll say, the the more wrong cultist milieus. It's their ability to live with slash thrive in a state of cognitive dissonance. Mm, Okay. If you get the average person who fails Randy's test for their dowsing abilities, they'll go home believing they can douse, even, even though they just were shown that they can't. Do you think that's true? I believe it was. I don't have a citation for that, but I I could have sworn the same interview from 10 years ago where I heard Randy say something about it's like 80 or 90% dowsers that come to test for the prize. Most of them leave believing that they can still do it. They just didn't pass the test. Oh, interesting. And so like those flat earthers, you know, who did that experiment where they shine the light down a long way and it didn't hit the receiver that they thought it would because the curvature of the earth, they Mm -hmm. didn't go home round earthers. A lot of them went home flat earthers. I have not actually watched the documentary Ahead of the Curve, which is about flat earthers. But apparently in it, during the course of the documentary, some of the flat earthers convinced themselves that actually the earth is round. Some of them. Yeah. 
it's very common for them to just for for people. I think like we talked about earlier, the, the trait that makes me like our culty milieu rather than others is that if we find something that turns out wrong, we're like, oh, then that's wrong. Forget it. And it's called out in the post. But I think it's it's not a, just a differentiating feature of ours. I think it's kind of puts it in a different category. But that doesn't mean that the Venn diagram doesn't overlap with these other five things. Sure. But is there anything that we would say, what's a community that isn't a cultic milieu? The vast majority of communities are not cultic milieus. If we can think of one right off that we know anything about that we can try and generate ideas of, or like what they the believe. The Democratic Party. That's a good quick answer. Um, <laughs> do they have... I mean, I just thought of the most mainstream thing I could possibly think of, and that's that's what came out. I was probably five full seconds behind you, but that's a long time in thinking seconds. Um, <laughs> Through the magic of editing, we could have made it sound like you weren't <laughs> behind me at all. Oh, well. Do they have examples of forgotten, superseded, ignored, rejected, or suppressed knowledge? I think they probably I don't, might. I don't know them very well. I'm not part of the Democratic Party, certainly not part of the actual apparatus that runs the campaigns. But I think it is far less on the axis of deep interest in stigmatized knowledge. That is the primary thing that differentiates the cultic milieu. And I think they do not have a deep interest in stigmatized knowledge. I mean, unless the stigmatized knowledge is just reversed non-stigmatized knowledge. Um, <laughs> well, then it's not stigmatized knowledge, is it? Well, but like they, they might, for example, I could imagine someone saying there's no different and this is going to just, someone summarized our show once and I loved it as, I love how you guys will do thoughtful conversations on interesting blog posts shuffled in with the occasional attempt to get canceled. So, <laughs> so in, in, that vein, in that vein. We're still trying. <laughs> in, that, in that vein, I could imagine someone saying of the Democratic Party, this might not be a Democratic Party stance though. There's no difference between sexes. So that might be an example of like suppressed knowledge that they might say they have, right? Other people are trying to convince you that, that there are, on average, men are bigger and stronger or something. But mm-hmm. we believe the suppressed knowledge that there's no difference, hmm. you know, or maybe that's rejected knowledge or, oh, you know what will solve all the housing problems? We'll put a cap you- on uh, how much landlords are allowed to charge. You know, okay, th- that sounds, that sounds like think- ignored knowledge. Do you think that either of those things are stigmatized? Because... I think that actually there's no difference between the sexes is a thing that is a statement that is celebrated and tried to be promoted rather than stigmatized. In their community, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, but all of these, uh, the suppressed knowledges are suppressed by outside the cult, the cultic milieu. In one way, you can't be in the majority if you're part of the cultic milieu then because the knowledge has to be stigmatized by the majority of the populace around you, right? Or, Or at least people in power. I, I, you yeah. know, you take a, a religious subsect that's being dominated or something, they could still make up 90% of the population, but as long as the king and his army are the other religion, they're still suppressed. Yeah, like with the, uh, in the old communist countries. I think this is an interesting example you just brought up because one of the most salient examples of the cultic milieu is the early Jewish sects that eventually broke off and formed Christianity, right? They were stigmatized knowledge in their time and place and absolutely cultic milieu-esque. And now in many countries, they are the dominant memeplex to the point that in, in some countries, they literally persecute and suppress competing memeplexes. So they started out as a cultic milieu stigmatized knowledge thing and now are not that at all because they stigmatize other knowledge. Maybe this is suggestive of the possibility that we need to consider that if we get too popular, we're going to be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I think that is inevitable. Alas. Well. Well, I, I do recommend anyone, the post doesn't take that long to read in the comments. There's only, uh, at the time of writing, 18 of them. I Check them out. Okay. Oh, here's a nice, quick, thought-provoking one here at the end. Would you say that scientists are part of the cultic milieu? Actually, I think I can kind of answer that myself and say, not really. Yeah, I would say certainly not. Yeah. Especially not, given what we're going to talk about on our next episode in two weeks. Oh, man. More foreshadowing. <laughs> yes. 
Thank you for joining us for this episode. Stephen, this was a blast. Shall we go on to the less wrong posts? Let's do it. This week, we are talking about the... God, I help me how to pronounce this. I'm going to just do the thing where I'm trying to train myself to do more often. Ask ChatGPT how I pronounce this. Oh, nice. It's pronounced Aleparadox. Oh, so the S isn't even pronounced? Well, according to ChatGTP, so... Okay, uh, the Alay Paradox. That makes much more sense in light of what the second post is. Yay. Because Zut Alay sounds much closer to Zut Alor than something where you pronounce the S. What's Zut Alor? You are not familiar with Zut Alor. No, I'm, I'm under whatever rock missed that. It is an expression of surprise in French. Now I want to know what Zut Alor means literally. Hold on a sec. All right. Zut Alor means damn them. Oh, that's fine. Uh, more commonly interpreted as shucks. <laughs> ah, shucks. Yeah. Uh, it can be used to mean then or in that case as well. Hmm, interesting. Okay. okay. All right. Well, so these posts, uh, if I had difficulty identifying with the rationalist label, because I don't know what that means, and found a lot of sympathy with the Tyson approach of forget you and your stickers and handles, maybe that'll all become clear that I haven't earned my rationalist sticker because I, I feel dumb as shit reading these. But I'm happy to own that and just ha- be corrected. Well, let's start out with the Allay Paradox. Stephen, I'm going to give you two options. You tell me which one is more appealing. Sounds great. Option 1A, you get $24,000, period. Just get $24,000. Or option 1B, you have a 33 out of 34 chance of getting $27,000 and a 1 in 34 chance of getting nothing. Which do you choose in real life? 24000 Me too. Which I know is why, the wrong why? answer. Do you think that's the wrong answer? Oh, wait. It's only the wrong answer if I would also choose, if I'd also choose 2B, right? So we'll we have to get there. Ourselves. Let's not, yeah, yeah, let's not get there well, quite yet. This post was written in 2008, back when I don't think Yudkowsky was ever really of the variety of like the homo economicus kind of thing, but I still feel like that's where a lot of like economics discourse was. That said, I wasn't reading it that much back then, so maybe I'm just totally misrepresenting the times. But what do you call a people centered economics, uh, social economics, before that actually, uh, before that actually took off? A lot of yeah. it was just like, well, look at this, this moron who would rather have $5 now than $5.50 in a week. That's because $5 now is valuable. And who wants to wait a week for two quarters? So yeah. I'm assuming the reason you chose 24 is rather than 27 is because you don't have to worry about maybe not getting it. Exactly. Yeah. That, I also actually chose 24000 because when I was thinking about it, between the two options, it seems like either one is basically I'm getting $25,000 more or less. And I'd rather just for sure get that rather than maybe not get it, but get a little more money. Yeah, that's the thing is it's like a 3% difference. That 300 chance isn't worth it for the marginal gain of $3,000 on top of the 24 I'm guaranteed to get. Yeah. You know, there is some number that could be that's $270,000, 100%. Right. You know, but the, the marginal difference between of that $3,000 is not worth a 3% chance of me getting nothing. Yeah. So we are both agreed. We would like for our lives to be $25,000 richer and we're willing to give up some money for a guarantee of that. A second scenario, 2A, you have a 34% chance of winning $24,000 and a 66% chance of winning nothing. Or you have a 33% chance of winning $27,000, so 1% less chance, and a 67% chance of winning nothing. Which one would you choose in this case? 2B. Okay. Why would you choose 2B? Because they're both about the same. My mind rounds those to a third and mm-hmm. one $3,000 more. 
here's the interesting thing. I am with you. Like, when I just read these, I'm like, yeah, they're basically a third chance either way. I'd rather have the extra $3,000. Eliezer goes on to say that most people prefer what we did, 1A over 1B, but then 2B over 2A for the same reason. However, what I found really interesting is that when I was just reading it for the first time, I was like, yeah, uh, sure, do that. But then I was like, okay, hold on. There's obviously some kind of trick here. What am, What is actually happening? So I sat down and I looked at the two numbers and I came to my reasoning that I came to originally that either way, I'm basically $25,000 richer. So if I'm basically $25,000 richer either way, I'd rather have that extra 1% chance of being $25,000 richer. Uh, I think I'm going to go for the less money for a slightly more chance to get that 25000 So upon sitting and thinking about it for a little bit, I changed my answer. I like it. I didn't spend the time to sit and think about it. This might be the wrong way to do it, especially like the, the experiments that are described. But if you say, mm-hmm. you know, it's basically twenty five thousand dollars, they'll be like, "Well, hold on a second. No, it's not. One's twenty four thousand. One's twenty seven thousand. And so for you to, for you to round them is like me rounding the probabilities. And That's so true. It's I, but, I, I wonder if like we do we each lose a base point or do we just you know? <laughs> I think it's more a matter of being consistent. Because in both one and two, I basically rounded them to being $25,000. And if you do in the first case where you round them to both basically $25,000, but in the second case, you round the probability to being basically one third, and suddenly the number of dollars is the answer that you don't round and that you pay attention to, then I think you're being inconsistent. And I think just knowing which one you actually prefer, like if the money amount mattered to me, then I would be happy to round the chances in one to both be basically 100% as well and look at the number instead. So I think either answer is fine as long as you're consistent between them. And it's that's more a matter of knowing yourself and what you actually prefer rather than, you know, which one is quote unquote better. Yeah, that's fair. Again, I think the difference between 33 and 34% is so small. It's literally the exact same difference as between 99 and 100%. Which is to say, virtually no difference in real life. Then I'm just thinking, well, I might as well have more money then. Exactly. So I get it's, it's it's not a well thought out calculation, but that's that's my thought. So uh, in that case, you're switching to 1B for the first answer, where you have a 99% chance of more money? Oh, shoot. Oh, well, that's 97. 33 out of 34 is 97%, not 99. Oh. And 3% feels like a number, whereas 1% doesn't. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so so this, this, this is the thing, and this is what he points out in the following post, but certainty is has a value that for me as a feeling human is yeah. important over a percentage it's it's not doesn't have infinite value right mm-hmm. if it was 2400 versus 27000 again you, you add a if you add a zero or take one off i'm totally going to change my answer but these these numbers 20 24 and 27 are so close that i'm like you know whatever i do think that's exactly his point though that certainty is highly overvalued because 1% actually does make a 1% difference. And you shouldn't value that last 1% any differently than you valued a 1% in the middle. You know, I get the point. Either we'll belabor these posts long enough for me to get it, or Mm -hmm. I'll just be able to explain why I'm dumb. The benefit to my life of getting $24,000 and $27,000 is approximately the same. Mm -hmm. I'd rather just be sure. Well, then wouldn't you rather have the 34% chance rather than 33% chance of having that benefit to your life? Yeah, I suppose you're right. When you explained your sit down and thought about it reasoning, you convinced me. So you're right. In the second post, he has an example where an experimenter is arguing with somebody and they're just they're they're doubling down. I, I will not double down on my initial thought of, of the uh, 2B, 33%. Okay. So okay. fair enough. 
Um, Yay, I have one. I like it. <laughs> or something. No, I mean, you, you, you've helped me understand a bit, which is valuable. I think, uh, so I think you've helped me understand. Okay, well, let's say he gives like the more convoluted of the example of 12 p.m. I roll a 100-sided die. If it shows a number greater than 34, the game ends, which is a 34%, you know, on 2A. Otherwise, at 12.05, I consult a switch with two settings, A and B. If the setting is A, I pay you $24,000. If the setting is B, I roll a 34-sided die and pay you $27,000 if it doesn't show 34. He says, let's say you prefer 1A over 1B and 2B over 2A, and you would pay me a single penny to indulge each preference. The switch starts in state A. Before 12 p.m., you pay me a penny to throw the switch to B. The the die comes up 12. After 12 and before 12.05, you pay me a penny to switch it to A. So if you didn't follow that, the, the point is he used pennies because then he gets to say, I've taken your two cents on the subject. Uh, mm-hmm. And I liked that. But I think I might just be an idiot. But I think I, I also misunderstood what he was getting at because I was saying I'd happily pay two pennies for 100% chance of $24,000. I, I don't think that's what he was getting at, that he could do the double booking thing to keep taking all of your money. Wouldn't you just get up and walk away? And how many times would we have to play this game? And, it's, and he's, remember, he's throwing the switch every five minutes. So five minutes, there's a hundred pennies and a dollar, $24,000. We're going to be there for the rest of our lives. How many times are you willing to do this kind of comes up in the next post where the gambler tells the researcher, yeah, if we keep going with this, I'm going to feel insulted. And uh, I I guess the implication back then was that if you insult a dude, he might punch you or something. (laughs) (laughs) My my last comment on this post was just to myself saying, get triggered, rationalists. I'm a complete fucking idiot. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome presumably that getting insulted thing is there specifically so humans can short circuit these sorts of terrible loops that they could otherwise be exploited by. And, you know, maybe just don't get exploited by it in the first place is the idea. Are these kinds of loops, the kinds that I'm likely to encounter in the same carnival fair where Omega shows me a newcomb problem box? Honestly, I think carnival fairs is the most likely place you would encounter these sorts of things because they're famous for trying to scam people out of their money. I guess I'm thinking is like, is this the kind of thing I'm ever likely to encounter in real life the same way I'm likely to encounter a Nukem problem? And I know that thoughtful, smart listeners wrote in with examples of real life Nukem problems, but they didn't register for me with that with that caveat. I mean, is, is this the thing that, that can happen in real life? Probably don't go to carnivals. Or if you do, don't go to the tents where they take your money. I'll go to the one and where I mean, they have obviously- a box of $24,000 in it for me to take, you know? <laughs> right obviously don't go to casinos ever because this is literally what casinos are yeah the casinos you've got to put in the factor of like you're also paying to have fun and if you have fun gambling then you know i was about to say exactly some people hate that shit and i totally get it anyways onward to the next post yes yeah apparently wasn't the only idiot who read uh the first one because the the, the post opens with huh i was not expecting that response (laughs) (laughs) A lot of people did not like, uh, did not agree with his reasoning in the first one, apparently. Yeah. I'm looking forward to uh, talking about the, uh, what was the actual book Plane Crash called? It has many multiple things it is known as. I think Plane Crash is the one it's most known as. Very well. But uh, the website that it's hosted on is Project Lawful, so maybe that. Fair enough. I get this problem without having a book cover. The second line of this post was, people put a very high value on small shifts in probability away from one, zero or one, the certainty effect. And I'm looking forward to reading a story where the average person finds that confusing. <laughs> right? Cool. Yeah. Be- because... They're right. The baseline Nukowski is right. 99% should be the same to you as 100, you know, basically, right? And to just put so much emphasis on the 100 is weird. And yet, me being a baseline human, I'm like, no, man, certainty of money is tight. Like, (laughs) 
For people who have no idea what Stephen and me are talking about right now, in the other podcast feed that I do, which used to be Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality, we are about to be reading Plane Crash, which is the latest fic that Eliezer is writing together with Kelsey Piper. And uh, we're going to be reading several chapters every week and talking about them. So yeah, that's on the other podcast I do. Or the other other podcast. There's there's multiple other podcasts that I do now. There's the other podcast that we do. Yes, there we go. Yeah, I, I was I was deliberately trying to plug it and then forgot yeah. to actually finish plugging. Zutale, we are going to ask you for a price at which you'd be indifferent to having that amount of money or having a chance to play a gamble. So <clears throat> there's a game before you that has a one third chance to win $18 and a two third chance to lose $1.50. What amount of money would you be indifferent of getting rather than getting a chance to play this game? In real life, if this was a carnival, if it was like cash, I just wouldn't play. Money's gross. Okay. Um, but let's, oh, let's pretend wow. it was, uh, you know. You're uh, going to get Venmo. Yeah, Venmo. So I have a one-third chance to win 18 bucks and a two-thirds chance to lose a buck 50. How much would someone have to pay me to not play the game? Yeah. I'd take a free 10 bucks. Let's let's just stick with that as a baseline. That's not Maybe that's not my I'll die on the sale answer, but we'll run with that. Okay. Which is, I know, wrong. So let's just let's just keep let's let's push through. <laughs> okay. There's a second game. You have a 19 out of 20 chance to win $4 and a 1 out of 20 chance to lose a quarter. How much would you take to not play that game? 5 bucks. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> this one, you know, it seems like my odds of losing are so much lower. Well, cuz they are, but you know, how much I'm losing is is supposed to be about the same on average, right? Uh no, no. How much you're losing is I don't think the same at all. These are just very different games. My oh you're right so okay let's see I would skip the game for three dollars and fifty cents. You have put a much higher number on the first game than the second one because you were ten dollars for the first one and three dollars and fifty cents for the second one. Yeah, because right. the the first one offers me more money. Like so, I'm going to come at this from the I, I make a comment down the down the post about Homo Economicus. I get what's what's Homo mouth breather like? You know, I, I'm coming at this from from the from the baseline idiot muggle. Uh, yeah. which I'm not pretending to be in this case. I, I basically am like, yeah, okay. If someone wants to come at me, it's like if someone wants to come to the next meetup with real piles of money and play these games with me and take my money. They're more than welcome to. And then I'm maybe it'll actually, drill the point home for me. I will 100% do that. If you want to do that deal, because I, okay. I, I'm interested. We'll have how to, many times you will play this game before you stop. All right. Do, I'll have to bring some cash then myself, huh? Uh, uh, yes. All right. So I'll, I'll bring cash. We'll, we'll pin out like the probabilities and stuff of what game we're playing before we play. And it'll report back. This will be fun. So people will, if Eliezer recalls correctly, he didn't go look this up beforehand because I believe he says his books were in boxes as he was moving. Great historical note. Um, I, I, people, I remember looking at that. And I was like, it's kind of funny they didn't go back and like, you know, put an asterisk saying, I double checked these numbers are right or I double checked and they're wrong. Ah, who has time for that shit? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's in the middle of moving. So yeah, um, yeah. But, People will put a higher price on number one than on number two, which was certainly the case in the experiment we just ran. So first, you sell them a chance to play bet one at their stated pl- price. I just want to confirm you're willing to pay me $10 in order to take that gamble. No, I thought I was willing to be paid $10 to not take that gamble. Yes, but in practice, they're the same thing, right? One of them involves me getting $10 and one involves me paying $10. Maybe that's why this didn't click for me. I gotcha. Okay. Like, again, in an iterative game where you play a thousand times, it might be like the same thing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm picturing this like as like, you know, you're walking by a table and some hustler's like, hey, you want 10 bucks or do you want a chance to win $18? Like, I'll take your $10 and then you just leave, right? I guess either way, you're either out $10 or you get to play the gamble. 
But I see what you're saying. They feel very different when you're giving your own money away to play that gamble as opposed to being paid to not play it. Yeah. They feel different, right? Because one of them involves me leaving with more money in my pocket. Yeah. Am, am I missing I, something or am I am I I'm not trying to deliberately be dense or obfuscating here. I might just actually be no, dumb. I, I actually don't think you're missing anything at all aside from not thinking like a robot. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> my squishy meat brain is like, ooh, money. Right. And my squishy meat brain is doesn't have the same reaction like, ooh, probability of money. That is an interesting point, because I was thinking about them the same way. How much would you be willing to pay in order to play the first one? This depends on so many factors. Like how much money do I have? How much will I miss five or 20 bucks? You know, how much do I need five or 20 bucks? If, am I scrap, if I scrimping to make ends meet or do I have excess? Like at Let's some just point, the game excess just, that no, nobody here is hurting for 20 bucks. How much would I pay for this game? $18 at a third chance or lose a buck 50. I mean, shit. My first number I came up with is 10 bucks. Um, oh, okay. So, but I mean, I think I'm, I, I can't tell if I'm anchored on that or if that's actually where my feelings are. So wait, why would I pay $10? <sighs> Let's just say 10, which, yeah, so that, that makes this the same. If I sound like an idiot, it's not, uh, it's, I think I'm just realizing when, if you're dumb, you don't know, you don't feel it like you feel stepping on a Lego. Right. I, I think sure. I'm just realizing I'm dumb. <laughs> I think you're just realizing you're a gambling man, like most people in the human race. I'm a gambling man who gambles very little, I guess. If I was given with a chance to win $18 and it's a one third chance, I would never pay more than $6 for that because then you're breaking even, right? <laughs> Yeah, I guess so. Uh, why would I pay 10? You're right. I, I don't think the 10 seems feels like a real answer. Because, you know, the second I think about it, you know, it's, it's worth noting that there's, I've been distracted by construction noises next door all day and I haven't had, I'm not sufficiently caffeinated. I need excuses to not sound so stupid. But if I sit down and think about it for three seconds, yeah, why would you pay more than six bucks? But the thing is, they'll never offer you the game at six bucks. At the casino, this game will always cost $7. In this case, if you don't win, you actually do have to pay a buck fifty. So they might offer it for six bucks just because when you lose, you actually pay them money. That's right. So wouldn't your actual number then be whatever, $5 and 60 cents or something? Um, maybe. I guess that's part of the question. Like, how much are you willing to pay for it? I mean, do I have to carry around pennies? Like, that that, that is a real life consideration for me. Like, I'm not going <laughs> to carry a bag of pennies to the bank. We are, again, Venmoing each other all these monies. <laughs> let's, let's, you will never have to touch cash in your life. Let's move forward with the with the post a bit, unless you feel like we can squeeze more out of this, my incomprehensibility here. Basically, what he's saying is that if someone would give a higher number for number one than number two, then you give them a chance to play number one as they wanted uh, at their stated price. And then you offer to trade bet number one for bet number two, since they would like to do that, get the certainty of winning the $4 rather than the chance to win $18. They will make that trade because they like that certainty thing. Near and certainty. then the near certainty thing. And then since they put a lower number on bet two, you can offer to buy that bet back there. So, okay. For example, bet number one, let's say you put $6 on it. I say, sure, I will make this bet with you for $6. If you win, you get 18 and you're like, awesome. And then I say, actually, hold on. Do you want to trade it for bet number two? You basically just have a almost 100% chance to get $4. 19 out of 20 chance you're going to get $4. You want to trade it for that. And you say, uh, actually, yeah, sure. I, I like that certainty of having $4 rather than a chance, only a one-third chance for 18. And I say, cool, we swap bets. And then I say, actually, you said you valued the second bet at something like $3.50. You want me to just give you $3.50 and we can call it off because you'd rather have that than the bet? And you say, yeah, sure, let's do that. And I say, cool, here's your $3.50 back. And then you say, 
hey, I have this bet, bet number one. You wanna you wanna buy this bet for six dollars and play this risk? And you'd be like, yeah, sure, totally. Here's six dollars because this seems like a great risk. And then I say, well, actually, hold on, I have this bet too. Do you want to trade bet one for bet two? And you're like, oh yeah, I'd rather have the certainty. And then you just keep doing that to pump money out of them because you're selling them this pair of bets for six dollars and then buying it back for three dollars and fifty cents. Oh, so like you're actually changing hands, like the money's changing hands before they settle on like which bet they're doing. Because it sounded like you just gave me three dollars fifty cents. No, it's first you bought the bet, and then before we actually roll the dice, I'm like, actually, do you want to just have this money? Oh, who would say that? Uh, apparently, the gamblers that were interviewed in the original. Well, because they, uh, they, they had some other weird constrained experiment. It was basically this sort of thing. Well, but the thing is, like, if I already gave you six bucks, mm-hmm. I'm not leaving without my chance to get $18 or my six bucks back. Like, I'm not going to just take a deal where I lose half my money. You say that now. But apparently that's not how things actually work. I'm looking forward to us actually doing this. If you have access to like lots of $1 bills, I might just Venmo you for whatever, 20 of them, rather than have to go to the bank myself. Okay. But I actually want to do this at the meetup. Cool. Because maybe that'll drive this home. And one of us will come up with more money. The experiment, the, the thing that caught me with it was that they're, they're playing with points. It's like bet A was 550 points and bet B was 400. And then, oh, how about I pay you 401 points? Will you sell me bet B for 401 points? And points don't have a one-to-one basis to money or but to they dollars. They they would trade them out for money at the end, right? Right, but they're not they're not converted to dollars. So like this might be on the order of pennies. Oh, and, okay. Well, and so, I, I, I'm not sure. Um, there there's a transcript from a link that still works. If I'm curious, I'll find how much money they're actually using in there, but not while recording. I mentioned on a might have been a base blast or something last week or a couple weeks ago. Where I did some twin study thing where it was a gambling thing where the odds actually went down over time, but I didn't know that till the end. Mm-hmm. But it was the max I could have ever left with was like less than ten dollars, and I, was, I had it was like you're betting a nickel or something each time. Mm-hmm. And even as a kid, you know, who was saving up to buy video games, like nickels didn't make a difference. I'm a kid who collected change. I had, I had little uh, coin sorter and everything. But at some point, you know, if you're playing a fake enough game, it's like all right, yeah, sure. So at the end, I'm going to get a bag of four hundred pennies or four hundred and two pennies. If you value your time at all, and you're you're lugging this bag of pennies to the bank, and so, as someone who lugs bags of change to the bank, I can tell you it's work. And mm-hmm. uh, they also ask you to take your sunglasses off if you walk in carrying a bag. Um, <laughs> huh? Interesting. Uh, like the guy stood up as I entered, and he's like, "Can you take your sunglasses off really quick?" Because I came in like you know hoisting a heavy bag. Um, yeah. Anyway, Eliezer at the end of this, he just says, "Do you want to scream? Just give up already. Intuition isn't always right. I think it's because my brain is." so smooth that the numbers are rolling right off of it. Um, okay. When we do this with money, I will come back and either be vindicated or be like, well, everybody, Inyash made 20 bucks. Uh, <laughs> so I, I, I'll be happy to share the results of this. I am glad he wrote this post because I didn't quite get the transformation in the first post where he rolls the 100-sided die and then allows you to swap back. This second post is where he points out that when he does that, what you're doing is... um. In the original problem two, there's the 34% chance of winning and 66% chance of losing. And then the second half of it is a 33% chance of winning and a 67% chance of losing. You can break that up into two rolls, basically, because both of them have a 66% chance of losing. It's just that the second one has a 66 plus 1% chance of losing. (laughs) So you can get rid of that 66% chance right at the beginning just by rolling to see if it falls in that first 66 or not. 
And if it doesn't, you cut that off entirely. And that changes into rather than 34 and 66 and 33 and 67, it changes into a 100% chance and zero and a 1% chance and 99 because that's what's left. There's there's still 1% chance that you could lose in the second one, but there's now a 0% chance that you could lose in the first one. So you're just rolling a second time to see if that last 1% gets triggered or not. I'm having like an echo of a flashback to when I first read these posts in like the early 2010s. And I haven't had the feeling of like, man, I wish my Bane was different. I don't think I've had that feeling since then like this. And I'm remembering that because the thing is, I, I can follow that, but it's not the least bit intuitive. Oh, yeah, and it's not intuitive at all. That's the whole point that don't follow intuition. Sometimes follow the math. I think that maybe maybe my feeling when I was reading these the first time was like, how is this intuitive to this guy? Like, how, <laughs> how does how the, how the hell is he figuring this shit out? And like, all you need is a pen and paper. And at this point, basic arithmetic. Yes. <laughs> and it's just like, for me, I'm just like, what sorcery is this? Uh, <laughs> I think the whole point is that it's not intuitive, which is why the carny guys make money. Yeah. Okay. Well, I feel better that at least I'm, I'm not necessarily dumber than the baseline human. You know, carnivals make money. So the example that helped actually helped clarify the point for me some way, somehow that the others maybe help me understand why this one helped work for me. If you offer someone a certainty of $400 or an 80% probability of 500 and a 20% probability of 300, they usually take the $400. Is he just making these up or is this like a thing? Uh, I don't know. All right. Well, let's pretend it's real. If you ask people to imagine themselves $500 richer and ask if they prefer a certain loss of $100 or a 20% chance of losing 200, they'll usually take the, the chance of losing $200. It's the same probability distribution over both outcomes, just different descriptions and different choices. That kind of helped me understand the point, except for I guess I don't quite get what it means to imagine yourself $500 richer. And then imagine losing money. Like, do I is, at any point does, does money actually change hands for this? I guess here's the thing: if you handed me five hundred dollars, then I would just leave. This has to be an imagining thing first. I mean, and then that's kind of the problem. But if you're acting, if you're working with people who are trustworthy, like your friends at a rest, less wrong meetup, or somebody in a institutional setting where there's a guard nearby, you could give them five one hundred dollar bills and then say, "I'm going to roll a dice. If it rolls anything at all, you have to give me back one hundred. We can make a bet where if it rolls a three through six, you give me back 200. But if it rolls a one or two, you got to keep all of it. And so, that way they'd have to either make that choice or give you back $100. They couldn't keep the 500. Well, it wouldn't be a three through six. It'd be a, it'd be a one or, you know, it'd be any single side of a six sided die for the 20%. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. Your percentage is closer than mine. I was thinking for some reason thirds again, rather than 20%. All right. So I'll ask you if, if I came up to you and I was like, hey, you want 400 bucks? Or mm-hmm. roll this uh, 100-sided die. If it comes up higher than 80, I'll give you 300 bucks. And if it comes up lower than 80, you get 500 bucks. Which one do you take? Um, do I guaranteed 480% chance at 500? Gosh. <sighs> I don't know. I think I'm kind of indifferent, which I, I know is kind of dumb. I'd take the 400. I think so, too. It's nice to have $400. The difference here, though, is that this, this game doesn't cost anything to play. You might as well get on and get 300 bucks at the worst case scenario for a chance of 500. I have this sneaking suspicion that, that these are all like the sort of contrived circumstances that don't exist IRL. And again, get triggered one box newcomb problem for life. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, I will come back with more coherent thoughts on this, whether we do it in the follow-up episode or in a base blast after the meetup. Once money's changed hands, because right now I'm expressing how dumb, how bad I am at this. 
I think you're thinking, man, I'm going to make 10 bucks. This is going to be great. Well, or you're going to come in and you're going to be like, I'm willing to take that first bet for $1. And then I'd be like, I, what? No, I'm not selling you this for $1. I'm going to lose money in, in expectation no matter what. Yeah, we'll, we'll figure out some way to do this. This will be fun. What if instead of $400, $500, or $300, it's lives at stake? Maybe you're a person at a hospital who has to make this choice. Like either you can definitely save 400 lives or there's an 80% chance of saving 500 people, but a 20% chance you only save 300. And then all of a sudden, this matters. I mean, yes, it, it does matter. And I do like the change away from currency to lives. But I also kind of wonder, how the hell could that and possibly it, happen? But he also points out that in that case, getting double booked really kind of matters. Because even if you only throw the switch twice before you realize what's happening, if each time throwing the switch costs one life, you just killed two humans for literally no net gain. So that sucks. I think, think it, harder first. Yeah. I think at the end of the day, if we zoom out from the content of these posts, like the specifics to mm -hmm. the point that it's making, it's that you want your AI god to actually be good at probability theory and not share your intuitions about mathematics, right? Yes. And also, as long as you're doing that, maybe don't trust your own intuitions when something matters because intuitions are wrong and do the math first. <laughs> Get good at math, scrub. <laughs> <laughs> or at least try to do the math. There's a subreddit called Fuck You in Particular. It's just like restaurant sign that says everyone's allowed to eat here except for Dave or something. And <laughs> awesome. So in the post, he says, yes, Virginia, you really should try to multiply the utility outcomes by their probability. You really should. Don't be embarrassed to use clean math. And I'm like, who's Virginia? And why'd she get a drive by here? Like <laughs> <laughs> I think this was a reference to, yes, Virginia, there really is a Santa Claus. See, that's I knew, I knew it was a reference to something. I just didn't know that one. That's funny. When you have circular preferences, you're not steering the future. You're just running in circles. If you enjoy running for its own sake, fine. Maybe I'm the dumbass who likes running in circles. Um, but if you have a goal, something you're trying to actually accomplish, a preference reversal reveals a big problem. At least one of the choices you're making must not be working to actually optimize for the future in any coherent sense. Yeah. That's I a nice way to crystallize that. Oftentimes, we're not optimizing, and that's fine. I spend vast quantities of my life not optimizing for anything in particular. But if you are actually working to optimize something, this matters. Be coherent. There's a good coherence thing involved here, actually, with charity from a real-life example. I had a, a roommate. We are leaving King Supers way back in the day. And remember, I don't know if they do this anymore, like the guys outside ringing the bell looking for change for the Salvation Army. Mm -hmm. And he threw his change in. Yeah, I think you've mentioned this one before. It's, it's maybe been long enough that people wouldn't mind the repeat anecdote. I'll be quick. The thing is, my roommate was gay, and the Salvation Army isn't a fan of gay people. These are these people who are, you know, burning Harry Potter books and stuff, you know, keeping toys that you donate because they weren't appropriate. And I'm like, you're actually giving money against your own interests here. And he's like, I don't care. I just, it just felt nice to give it. That was like his actual answer, paraphrasing from bad memory. The last second, last paragraph says here, if what you care about is the warm, fuzzy feeling of certainty, then fine. If someone else's life is at stake, then you'd best realize your intuitions are a greasy lens through which you see the world. Your feelings are not providing you with direct vertical information about strategic consequences. It feels that way, but they're not. <laughs> Warm fuzzies can lead you far astray. They led my friend to give money to a, an organization that's actively working you know, against his interests. You know, if it feels this good to give a few cents to Salvation Armor, imagine how great it would feel to make gay marriage illegal. Right. <laughs> I wish I'd been clever at the time. That's the thing is I do like that because, you know, if you're just chasing warm fuzzies, if that's all you care about, fine. If you, if you actually care about doing stuff, look at what you're actually doing. This is what he's really advocating for here is effective altruism. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. I, I appreciate you indulging me on that, but it was way more fun for me revealing the idiot behind the mask here. If there was ever any mask <laughs> at all pretending to the otherwise. What do we have for our next two posts? 
We have Alay. Oh, God damn it. Alay Malays. All right. See, the S at Mal- and Alays is silent, apparently. Is the S in Malays silent too now? Now I have to question everything I read. No, but to, al- it, to al- Alay something is to uh, subvert it or something, right? Uh, yeah, but is it Alay Malay now or is it Alay Malays? I'm going to say Alay Malays. All right. I, I guess it depends on how French we want to be. You, you want to, uh, um, you know, diminish the Malays there. So, all right. And I guess discount rates. Yep. That sounds fun. Those are, those, that does sound fun. I'm an economic moron. If anyone has a, a great, like, hey, Stephen, watch this one-hour video and you'll be less stupid, I would love it. So that's my ask to the Discord for this episode. Because I would I, I like to level up my skills and I'd like to do as little work as possible. Uh, months ago on the Mindkiller podcast, David, one of the co-hosts, mentioned that he had achieved the puffy hands and face state of meditation feeling. Mm-hmm. And I asked him for a link to what he was talking about. And it was like, I don't know, 18 or something different links to hour long meditations. And I was like, what's the one that I need? And he's like, <laughs> you kind of need all of them or you'll go. It's like not doing them right is a shortcut to madness or something. And I'm like, well, fuck this. <laughs> I have serious doubts that sitting quietly for an hour can make you go mad. Uh, it depends. I tell you what, I'll grab one at random and see if I go insane if I don't do them, if I don't do them in order. Excellent. I like this. I fully support this experiment. Between that and uh, you getting all my money, this sounds great. Uh, do your own research, as they say. Right. You know who doesn't need to do their own research? Our mm. patron, Ian. Ian! They did their research, and they concluded that this was a valuable use of their charity money. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Ian. You fucking rock. Yeah. This helps us feel good about what we do, because it, it helps us feel like we're doing a thing that is valued by people, which is important. In a podcast format like this, the vast majority of the times, I have no idea who listens to it, who gets what out of it. Is it worth doing at all? And the fact that some people are willing to give money means that, okay, I guess it's worth something to them. That is a valuable signal for me to have, at least, that uh, I'm good using, spending my time doing this rather than something else. Same here. And you know, to that vein, I love reading uh, emails and feedback and comments on posts, or uh, I'm trying to get more involved in the Discord, but I fell off of that. I'm still on i just never read stuff but you know any any comments thoughts feedback we have the uh you can comment on the post you can email us at bayesian conspiracy podcast at gmail.com or hit us up on patreon and uh those messages definitely get read the ones in the bayesian conspiracy inbox occasionally sit there for a few weeks but the patreon ones they ping my phone so uh, if you really want to get in touch with us give us a dollar and then then bug me and you'll, you'll get a response quickly <laughs> absolutely all right i appreciate it this is funny Nyash. yeah this is great do we want to tell people what us? we're talking about next episode, or do we want to just unveil it at the time? Nope. They get to live in anticipation. All right. Enjoy. Cool. Bye. See ya.